0: Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae
1: Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is a Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show it's football Friday and a fan Friday we're going to get to the last word here from John Congemi on Dolphins and Bucks we'll answer your questions on the mailbag as well as the podcast reviews pick the slate of NFL games this weekend and give you a college scouting guide and call it a week from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex this is The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. You know how we do it on Fridays. Let's go ahead and start here with John Kinjemi. And as we do every Friday here on Drive Time, we welcome in John Kinjemi to the podcast for the last word on Dolphins and Bucks. And John, it's my lead in every single week, but the key lime pie was a go a week ago, but the result was not what we were looking for last Sunday against the Colts.
0: No, it wasn't Travis, and I even double dipped. I went twice just to see if it would change the mojo of the Miami Dolphins in the second half. But uh, it was close at halftime, seven uh, three. But uh, you know, just didn't make enough plays in the second half until very late in the fourth quarter. Um, but you know, it's one of those games at home you wish you could have back because uh, that's one I had kind of in the wind column early in the season, and. Now you got to go find one in Tampa Bay, which will be a much tougher task than last week.
1: Absolutely. Plenty of schedule left to go, plenty of season left to go. And we've seen this team improve over the course of the season, each of the last two years. But as Coach Flores and his players will tell you, you can't just plan on last year reflecting this year. So they have to go out there and put in the work and just get better as a team and find a way into that winner's circle and hopefully string a few together here, starting in Tampa Bay with a tough team. And it starts you know here because the million-dollar question is, and this team has had the answer over the last 20 years more so than anybody else in the national football league. It's not a lot, but it's more than other teams. But how do you beat Tom Brady? Cause over the course of his career, when teams get after him and it doesn't happen very often, what has been the common theme among those defensive plans when you make Tom Brady look human, because it happens like once or twice a year.
0: Well, I would say, you know, guys like Jason Taylor or Cameron Wake, Um, had a lot to do with it. I I think that led to a little bit of disruption in the pocket. It it led to the ball either coming out before Tom was ready to throw the football or before the receivers were ready to accept it because of the pressure. I I think that that has to happen for the Miami Dolphins to have a chance to win this game because Tom Brady has seen every coverage known to mankind. He kind of has a better idea than the majority of quarterbacks playing the position of where he wants to go with the football because he's already run the play through his mind. He's seen the coverage. He knows what it is. And the only thing that disrupts Tom Brady's thought process and progression with the football and where he wants to go with it is the time he has in the pocket. And that has to happen. You have to make him reset uh, somehow in the pocket, whether that's edge pressure, whether that's pressure right in your face, which is probably the toughest for a quarterback because that makes you slide. And sometimes it makes you slide to an open area to get rid of the football, but also it makes you slide into traffic and it makes you slide into pressure. You didn't really see initially. So that may be a- accompanied by tightened windows down the field, better coverage um, that requires perfect ball placement. When you're dealing with traffic and issues in the pocket, Sometimes, even for the you know, one of the guys that's the best to ever do it, to locate the football with consistency. So those things, in my opinion, every week you go in trying to disrupt the opposing quarterback, but it's so imperative this week because of the skill set of who he's throwing to, uh, the, the quality of the offensive lineman, the way he can beat you by just checking it down and and, not, and staying patient without trying to gamble because he knows he has time on his side. So those are the things, Travis, I would be looking for for the Dolphins. Uh, If they can do that and do that with any type of consistency, they will stay closer in this game than most of the national media
1: think. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I, I say this all the time, but it comes with the caveat. Like, to me, Tom Brady's one of the most mobile quarterbacks of all time. And you you hear that and you say, Travis, have you seen Lamar Jackson? Have you seen Kyler Murray? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pocket mobility and the ability to recognize those spaces and those windows, like you mentioned, to get to when the rush kind of collapses around him. He just has an innate ability to find those open spots. But I have a follow-up question for you here, John, because you mentioned the sliding in the pocket you know laterally opposed to climbing up it when the edge pressure gets in there, you know you played the position for a long time, and I'm, I'm curious to get your take on from your perspective, but also from watching Brady for so many years when the quarterback does have to slide side to side like that, my impre- my first thought when you mentioned that was that can change the arm slot, which obviously affects the mechanics and that can then change the trajectory of the football, your release, and that can have accuracy issues. Is that correct, and with Brady? Does that ever happen with him, or is he just so good that he finds a way to get the mechanics aligned every single time?
0: I think quarterbacks at this level, especially when we're talking about elite guys and and future Hall of Famers and maybe the best to ever do it, um, when he slides left or right, it's not so much about arm angle. It's more about resetting his feet because Tom Brady can do it from a number of different arm angles and and a number of different traffic areas in the pocket. I think that has to be helped by coverage. If you have tighter coverage and and you also have traffic in the pocket, that puts more of a premium on accuracy, right, in ball location. So when you have two of the best in the league in a tandem with X on one side and hopefully Byron on the other side, it really will make it more difficult to push the football outside the numbers. So what do you do? You either check the football down when you're when you have that traffic or you go to maybe a matchup on the inside with Godwin. So it depends on where the ball's going. Um, I think Tom Brady knows um, who he can trust. You know, if Evans is going one-on-one, and even if if it's against X, they're going to take that shot because you may get PI. You may get a cheap one. So lateral movement compared to moving up and climbing inside the pocket, I think it does disrupt timing a little bit because when you have a clean pocket to throw from – and you're stepping into the throw, you're in rhythm. You're, you have a lot of mechanics that you like. When you go side to side, that rhythm has to quicken. Your feet have to quicken, your, your arm angle has to be precise, and you have to be really good accurate down the field because you have different lanes that you're throwing the football through. But when you're naturally stepping up into the pocket, you're stepping into those lanes. So it's a little bit easier to just throw the football and react naturally.
1: And just to kind of finish that point, I mean, the the traits you mentioned there as far as kind of dealing with trash and getting the mechanics right among that trash... That was what I loved about Tua tonga game as a prospect and even in his rookie season and even here in week one when he played back against the Patriots. So good to hear that and that kind of match up with what I have seen over the course of Tua's career. And I'm glad you mentioned Mike Evans as well, because in the preview podcast, I talked about how they're going to throw him the football regardless. They don't care who's on him, how tight the coverage is. They give him target opportunities and well, because he makes a lot of plays, much like Devontae Parker does with the football in the air. But on the other side of the equation, John, this... Buccaneers' secondary is awfully banged up right now. And I made the point on the pod yesterday about how it's not just so much that you're down corners one, two, or three, or maybe just one and two if Jamil Dean plays, but then your three, four, five becomes one, two, three, and then you have five, six, seven have to become four, five, six, right? So, my question for you is how can the Dolphins take advantage of a position group where the opposition is thinner than they'd want to be because last year you look at the Niners and Cardinals games; those were two games where the same thing happened, where they were down a bunch of DBs and Miami capitalized both with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then Tua Bailoa. How can Jacoby Brissett and the Stolphins offense take advantage of a secondary for the Bucks that's awfully banged up right now?
0: Travis, all gas, no brakes. <laughs> I would if
1: I if I was. Uh,
0: Brian Flores, where I was one of the two coordinators, I would be pounding the table and I realized the dolphins have had issues uh, identification wise, and they're going up against a really good front seven, but you have to put the onus on your passing game against Tampa Bay and throw the hell out of the football. And it it doesn't mean just, you know, taking shots down the field all the time, but getting into a, a hurry up up tempo type empty type of offense because you're not going to bang your head against the wall running the football against Tampa Bay. I mean, the numbers just don't bear that out. When you're 28th in the league and rushing the football and you're going up against a team that scores over 30 points a game, you better put your big boy pads on and your, and your quick shoes and be able to pass protect and leave it up to your quarterback to decipher how to deal with the pressure. But for me, I would just be up-tempo, no huddle, Use your size on the outside with Parker and hopefully Williams is in the lineup this week doing those things. Because as you mentioned, Murphy Bunting might be out. Dean may be out. Davis is out. Winfield might be out. Who knows? They may, those guys are banged up in the secondary for, if it's me, I'm going to use those guys outside the numbers with their size. You you might get a completion. You might get an incompletion. You might get PI, but so what? Press the issue downfield and start using Waddle to stretch the field as well. Don't be afraid. You know, be the aggressor on offense. And it just feels like that's the type of game I would like to see because if you're going in with the same type of mentality where you're going to have to run the football, you're going to have to do some things on the ground, it's going to be a lot of third and mediums to long, and that puts more pressure on just, hey, going for it. Because I've seen us now for a couple, almost a month now, And you've had three and outs trying to run traditional stuff. A lot of times when you've had great field position and it seems like the dolphins are at their best when they're trying to, you know, press the issue, they're going a little bit of tempo. They're going a little bit of no huddle and Jacoby's kind of on the run and they're just going. So for me, that that's where I would want to be offensively. And it just rolled the dice because I don't know if you can stand toe to toe and, and play a methodical game with Tampa Bay um, trying to, you know, worry about balance, I, I would go for
1: it. Yeah, we we saw Dallas in week one and then and then New England last week not run the ball against them at all. So I, I'm you, I, you have this great way, John, of always getting to my content I'm going to bring up to you later on in the podcast, and I really appreciate that about you. Uh, you also touched on running into a brick wall. I asked Coach Flores about that on Wednesday, if there's value to running the football when you're not having success from a production standpoint. And he basically said – He didn't say my name, didn't say it directly, but he basically said, Travis, if you want to go try to run into a brick wall, feel free. I don't know how that would feel. And then he laughed about it a little bit. So a good (laughs) moment there between myself and coach. And then also you mentioned getting Jalen Waddle going. And that's something else coach touched on. My last question for you here before the mailbag with Jakeem Grant no longer here on the roster traded to Chicago earlier in the week. I'm curious your thoughts on Jalen Waddle in the punt return game. Coach Flores did say specifically, we'd like to get him some more touches there. Do you think he's the primary punt returner? And if so, what does he bring to that unit?
0: Yeah, why not? I mean, he's one of your most explosive players on the football team. And if those traits carry over from Alabama to the Miami Dolphins, when he has opportunities, you know, it's kind of like when Jakeem got the football, you kind of hold on to your seat, cross your fingers, because you want to make sure you get the catch, make the first guy miss, and then anything can happen after that. On a team that you're looking for explosive plays, they can happen a lot on special teams. And that's a big boost for your football team. So why not? I would say, put give Jalen an opportunity. Now caveat to that, Travis, when you're backed up and they're going to you know, bang it up in the air and you're just looking for a fair catcher or the opposing team this week, Tampa Bay is trying to put it inside the 10 yard line. Maybe you bring back Preston Williams. If he's in the lineup to secure the catch, he's had experience in the national football league and doing just that. Maybe you mix and match, you know, a long field, you put Jalen back there give him a chance. Uh, You're just trying to secure the catch or make the best decision possible, whether to field the punt, get away from the punt, uh, draw flies away from where the ball is. Maybe put in more experienced guy that's done it in the National Football League if he's available. So those are the things that would be on on the table for me.
1: Hey, you know, you make a good point there. I have a question for you real quick to follow up on that. And just real quickly, John, because I keep seeing the argument about why would you put your – your most explosive or even your best player back there to return punts. I hate that mentality so much as if special teams isn't an important part of the game. Like you can't just punt on, you know, there's guys that are playing 24, 25 special team snaps a game. So Are you, are you going to tell me that 25 snaps of the game, you're going to take less seriously than the offense and defensive snaps? So my question to you, John, is as a, a guy that's played in the league or, or in college football and, and professionally for so long. Did you did anybody ever across your football experience say, I don't want him returning kicks because we're afraid of what might happen injury wise?
0: I don't think so. I don't think that's ever I've ever heard that, Um, you know, unless the the guy was going into the game that might have been dinged up and you're trying to, you know, take less plays or exposure away from him. But that would be the only only way you would kind of enter down that road.
1: Yeah, that was my thought too. I, just, I wanted to check with you because I know you've got more experience around the game than I do. So I just I, – I wanted to confirm, so that's good to hear. Let's, uh, let's it's just an,
0: I think it's just another chance for a guy to make a play. Exactly. You know, he, flip, like, he flips field position. It makes it easier for everybody. Not only stuff? the offense, who's getting the ball in a great, great spot. But the defense, if the offense doesn't move it, now you've, you know, you may get the ball, the opposing team inside the 10 yard line and get it right back. Just like what happened last week.
1: Yeah. What's the difference between a 20 yard punt return and a 20 yard pass reception on a screen? Like it's the exact same thing. So I'm with you. I'm glad to hear you share that same opinion. Let's go ahead and get to your. The Dolphins will win if. Take the floor.
0: Wow. Uh, The Dolphins will win if what we talked about a little bit earlier happens early in the game and
1: continues.
0: To be the aggressor, I I just think when you're going up against the world champs and they're beat up in the secondary, you've got big explosive receivers. You've got little explosive receivers. You've got a quarterback that's not afraid to to throw the football into traffic. Let's do it. I, I would say that has to happen. And you also have to keep the game in the 20s because the Dolphins aren't scoring points right now. Tampa Bay is. Uh, if you can find a way defensively to, to cut the field down, get a turnover, uh, force a couple of field goals when Tom Brady has that opportunity to use all those weapons on offense, that's uh, a way to keep it uh, in the strike zone for the Dolphins, right? You have to be in the 20s. If it gets to the, oh, over 30, it's going to be a tough afternoon for the Dolphins because I just don't think they can keep up the pace. They haven't proven it so far. But I still would like to see them be aggressive and then, you know, try to try to force some field goals because you have to keep that score 21, 24, 27 tops.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice to get the offense going. Good time to have them get it going right here as we head into the month of October and into London next week against the Jaguars. But you talk about that hot start that kind of leads into our first mailbag question. You got a a time for a few mailbag questions, John?
0: Absolutely. Sure.
1: Perfect. This one comes in from at Peter Anthony, and he asks, have you noticed the script this season where defenses keep us our defense keeps us in the game until about halftime? Then the other team typically blows us out. And he says, because the defense is exhausted, what is your best suggestion to fix this? I don't want to put an assumption on you first. So first I want to ask you, do you think that's what's happening? The defense is, is becoming tired and then thus the opposing offense has more success. And if so, how would you rectify that?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, everybody's signing up to play football, right? And no, nobody says I have to play X amount of plays. So sometimes <laughs> the defense has to carry the offense in a game, and sometimes the offense has to carry the defense or a combination of special teams and offense, special teams and defense. Uh, last week, a uh, perfect example, it's 7-3 at halftime, and, you know, Indianapolis comes out. They, they find a way to put, you know, 11-play drive together. Now, were the was the Dolphins' defense tired coming out of the locker room? I don't think so. They, you know, just didn't make enough plays. You know, when you have a forty-four yard run to start off the, the third quarter, I would say the defense wasn't ready. You know, they have to do a better job of shutting down those explosive plays. So, other than the Buffalo game, I haven't seen uh, a big disparity not only in score but in in talent. And in you know, the Dolphins are in these games. It's a couple plays a week or a couple penalties or a couple of others that, you know, are unfortunate the Dolphins didn't make or else maybe the game shifts a little bit, you know, during that second half. So, no, I, I just think it's, it's not one side or the other. Um, you'd like to have the offense play better. Absolutely. But, you know, coming out at a, after halftime, if the defense makes a statement, especially last week, you've got a one score game now and, and you're going to the middle of the third quarter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. It's, it's all about complementary football, right? And you talk about some of the mistakes that have happened at crucial times you know, the punt return game can set the offense up for a shorter field then the offense can hit some of the shorter throws that are available to them in the passing game, which can keep the defense rested for longer. Everything works together and hopefully we start to see that come together this week. Next question here from at uncle poppy 26. What's up with the lack of trust in Jason Sanders? He's been money from 50 plus yards and yet we keep punting in those spots. What do you think, John?
0: Well, you know what? I would have loved to have seen Jason Sanders had that opportunity because you know, he was highly disappointed not getting that chance. You know, you, we saw it all training camp. Anytime they go to special teams, this guy's banging them in from 55 yards plus. I mean, and it was with consistency. So, yeah, I could see the frustration maybe for not only Jason, but for some of the fans, they want to take a chance because there hasn't been that much scoring for, for the Miami Dolphins on offense. There hasn't been those explosive plays, something that kind of get them going. Uh, I can see Coach Flores' point because when he did, you know, have him take the penalty, they got the ball right back uh, in in a position to do something with it, and the offense didn't take advantage. So I see the coaching strategy there. He kind of was more conservative, which, hey, he's the guy that's, you know, his name's going under the wins and losses. He has every right to make those decisions. But, you know, when you have probably arguably the best kicker in the National Football League, you've got a chance to score points I would trust that guy. Uh, I would trust him on Sundays for sure.
1: Yeah. And I can see both sides of it too, because you know, and this is going to be a little bit new school as far as analytics typically aren't kind to the long distance field goal, because if Your percentages go down, obviously, and let's say it's a 65% chance of making it. But if you miss, you increase the likelihood of the opposition scoring on their next drive. You put them basically within one or two first downs of having a three-point try of their own. So I get it from that standpoint. And then also, you know, how did it work out in hindsight? You mentioned the punt after that. It got the ball right back. So I can see both sides of it for sure. But yeah, Sanders has the distance for sure and the accuracy from deep. Last question here for you, John, at oh boy 2377 is Jacoby Brissett just missing plays downfield or the, is the play calling bad? What is your answer to the offense, John?
0: Oh, boy. Um, let's see. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think either. I, I think, um, you know, I can only reference from what I've seen with Jacoby in the game. Now, a lot of people might want to say hey, there weren't enough shot plays called. I was watching the game, kind of watched it again. There were some plays to be had downfield. Now, whether – you know why Jacoby maybe turned it down to, to check it down or didn't see it, you got to be able to, to go back and, and study it and be better for it next week. I would expect if the Dolphins are going to be aggressive this week and are going to try to get a little bit more tempo going, especially early in the game, I don't see why you wouldn't have Jacoby take those shots, especially with the injuries and where Tampa Bay is weak this, this, this coming Sunday. They're weak in the secondary. They're good getting upfield and and causing disruption. Well, calling shot plays doesn't always mean you have to go down the field with football, but it creates more room. It creates more room for other things. So I would like to see the Dolphins utilize their size and speed on the perimeter, and I'd like to see Waddle take the top off once or twice. Um, You'd like to see a completion. You'd like to see an explosive play that cuts the field in half. But um, I think Jacoby's going to get there. Everybody's everybody's frustrated right now, right? Everybody wants to see more, but sometimes when you're when you're pressing, it doesn't happen. You have to have it, let it happen organically. And those plays are being called, I think, with a little bit more frequency. So I think there's more opportunity for Jacoby and the and the explosive players on offense to show that talent, and hopefully it happens this week.
1: Yeah, I have to imagine there's going to be a point of emphasis on that because Coach Flores mentioned it as far as some missed opportunities, but also in the running game as well, but also with the coaching staff and, and some of the stuff they do. Like I on the tape that you mentioned there, John, there was a couple of times where there were some spacing issues that I saw where guys were winding up in the same – same vicinity and I can't imagine that's the design of the play maybe it's running the wrong route I'm not sure what it is but you don't want two three receivers standing within five yards of each other on your passing concept so we'll see if they can get that stuff ironed out see if they can find a victory on Sunday as for John we're going to go ahead and say goodbye John have a great show on Sunday I'll be watching you and we'll see you in a couple of weeks for the Falcons here at Hard Rock Stadium
0: oh sounds good thanks for having me Travis
1: appreciate it John thank you so much man And away he goes, John Congemi. I always enjoy having him on the podcast, that player's perspective. I've been leaning on that a lot this year with John, with OJ. It's nice to have that around. Also, a Jason Taylor question earlier in the week for you guys. So there you have it. John Congemi, off he goes. Let's finish up the mailbag here and start with your Apple podcast reviews. This one came in from Kentucky Finn, and it wasn't a... Question, just a review, but I want to go ahead and read it because he was very complimentary, and I, I promise you guys I read all the reviews here on the podcast from Apple. He says, Trap, uh, love the show, five stars. Travis works for the organization, and he's a really optimistic guy, but he doesn't shy away from criticizing poor play. I wish there was a podcast of the post-game shows, though. As someone who doesn't have local access to QAM broadcast, that's disappointing. I'd love to hear that audio on this feed or the fish tank feed. Both shows are awesome. Well, Kentucky Finn, I have some good news for you. There is a podcast of the post-game show. First of all, thank you for the kind words. Very nice of you. But there is a post-game podcast show, podcast post-game show. (laughs) Sometimes it's up immediately on Sunday. Sometimes it's up on Monday morning. I think it was Tuesday this week, so a little bit longer time to get that up. But just type in best of 560 on your Apple podcast app and it's two episodes every single week, hour one and hour two. So you can check that out on the Apple podcast app. And I believe there's a website for it as well on 560. Dot com, whatever their website address is. So you can check that out as well. Thank you very much, Kentucky Finn. I'm glad you're enjoying the pods and the post game. We love doing that post game show for you guys. Okay, first mailbag question here from Twitter is at Tyler Bellin. Excuse me. The offensive line has been our kryptonite for like 20 years. Why don't they trade for a solid offensive lineman or sign any free agency? Uh, offensive linemen to see if it can improve well they did sign Austin Ryder this week off the Saints practice squad so there's your first move to go ahead and make that correction as far as trading for offensive linemen you know in-season trades can typically unless there's unique circumstances if you're going to call somebody and ask for a guy they're not interested in trading you're, you better blow away with the price tag like it better be you know Laramie Tunsil level types of compensation which I'm not sure if that's a good idea for one particular player I just don't think you can fix it that easily in season when it comes to acquiring new players. Like, especially at that position where we talk about this, you know, the pass rushers that have come through the draft the last five or six years have been really more highly touted than the offensive linemen coming out. So there's kind of this pendulum swing across the National Football League, and I think that will make NFL teams value their linemen even more so. So to get one of those guys, it's going to be a tough, uh, you know, a high price to pay. And you still have basically an entire offensive line here in Miami of first, second, and third-year players. So let's see how they can develop. Look at Christian Wilkins here in year number three, having the best year of his career. I don't think it's as easy as saying, well, he played a few bad games, his career is over. This league is about development and improvement, and I think that you still have a chance to get these guys course-corrected, back on track, and playing up to the ability they showed throughout the draft process, throughout their college careers, and even last year to some of these guys. Because this next question here comes in from at deluxe one and he asks, explain the regression of Austin Jackson. I saw your question before I drove into work, and I planned on getting here and watching some Austin Jackson 2020 tape to answer this question, and I'm, I'm excited to bring what I found to the podcast here. So the arc of Austin Jackson's career is the type that really makes the scouting industry or scouting business or the, the profession of it so friggin' difficult. Austin had so much upside as a prospect out of USC. He was athletically gifted, smooth feet, good change of direction, all the testing was great. Then you could project added strength to his game after that final year at USC— where he played without any offseason program. We talked about that. You guys know the story about the bone marrow uh, transplant with his sister and not being able to work out that offseason. So you think that he can add that functional strength back to his game. And he had some bad games in USC, but he had so many good reps that showed you this guy has the makings of a good NFL left tackle. So now what I see on tape this year is from my perspective as a player who's struggling with some of his technique. And keep in mind, I do not know his coaching points. I can't nail down exactly what he's not doing that he's being asked to do. But he has talked a lot in the past at press conferences and the like about getting to landmarks and getting to his his the landmark of where he wants to set up. And I think he has a really good first step in kick slide to get into that position. But then his balance kind of gets off. Like he bends at the waist a little bit too much. His punches are not landing and the functional strength is not being applied because of that balance issue his feet and we talked about this are they're they're stopping upon contact when he throws that punch and gets the contact the feet stop and that's where the rep goes sour where he starts to bend at the waist and then has to chase backwards into the backfield but if you go back to last season he was good from the jump like he was good in that New England opener had a tough game against the Buffalo Bills week 2 then he was stellar in the Thursday night football game in Jacksonville, had an up and down day against the Seahawks, was injured in that game and had to exit. Then he comes back for the Cardinals and Chargers game was very good in those two games. Then the Denver game was a rough one. And I'm not sure why, but that's about where things began to kind of, to, to get tougher on Austin Jackson. Because you go back to the Jacksonville game, that was the one that I watched again. Those things weren't happening you'd see the typewriter feet. you see him snatching guys, putting them on the ground and burying them with an attitude and a mentality. Just a really good performance that I thought was going to be a great sign for his future prospects. So it's in there How you get back to that, that's for the coaches to figure out and way above my pay grade. But the feet being active among contact and matching up with his punch, to me, those are the two things he has to get corrected. I'm not sure what the coaching points are, but that's what I see on tape as far as my amateur eyes can tell me. All right, let's go ahead and speed through the NFL picks and college three pack here real quick to finish up this Friday edition of the Drive Time podcast. And we start with the college three-pack, and we're going to start with OJs. We are Penn State, number four Penn State, and number three Iowa. I'm sorry, Juice, but I'm taking the Hawkeyes in this one. They've looked so impressive this season. We've talked about both these teams in the podcast here, and there are NFL players all over the field, so do not miss this contest on Saturday evening. But I want to note a pair of Hawkeyes. First, Tyler Linderbaum is so far, in a way, center number one on my October big board, which is way too early of a big board. But he's athletic enough to get out in, in space and get out wide and square out blocks outside the numbers, which is impressive in its own right. But to pair that with a nasty finisher who has sand in his pants against the bigger rushers, just an absolute freak. Like Search his name and click on the videos link on Twitter. And you'll see some of the most remarkable stuff you've seen from a center in college football in a while. There's one from Dane Brugler of The Athletic where Linderbaum engages the nose and gets pushed back on the nose. And then while engaged on that block, takes on a hit from a full-speed, uncovered, unstacked linebacker off ball. He absorbs that hit, repositions his hands, drops his butt, and drives through him five yards off the line and buries him into the turf. Unreal rep. And a first-round type of player who, by the way, also threw a bale of hay 14 feet in the annual hay bale toss an Iowa football tradition so country strong athletic ability and he likes to play football nasty and mean also like their tailback Tyler Goodson he's got a fantastic dead leg move in space to make second and third level defenders miss and you guys know how I feel about running backs with home run ability he's explosive as hell and can make you miss in a phone booth how about the Red River shootout the Red River rivalry number six Oklahoma number 21 Texas Spencer Rattler I'd like to see more from him personally. I think that he's got the some of the best physical traits in the draft, but it hasn't come together for him yet. Be watching this game closely. And Oklahoma always has good linemen. And they have a transfer from Tennessee who's no different this year. Wynam Morris, keep an eye on him at left tackle for the Oklahoma Sooners. And then Bijan John Johnson at Texas is only a sophomore, but he's angling to be running back one in 2023. Not eligible this year, but he's worth bringing up because he's so dang good. One of the best backs in the entire nation, a possible Heisman candidate as well. And then Texas also has some beef up front on their offensive line. Derek Kerstetter is an interior guy with a massive frame and good length for the position. So keep an eye on him. I think Texas gets this one this year. So we're taking Iowa and Texas in these two games and the number two Georgia at number 18 Auburn taking Georgia again. I think they're on a crash course for the college football playoff, even if they can't beat Bama in the SEC title game. And it's like literally their entire defense. Just watch the game and you'll see what I mean. And I think I covered Auburn in an earlier week this season I'm a big fan of both our backs. Tank Bigsby, the best name in the country, one of the best players in the country, and their other back, Sean Shivers, also packs a punch at the tailback position. My NFL picks last week, 10-6. and Not great, but better than I thought it was going to be. 43-21 and on the season. We took the Seahawks on Thursday night football, and I'm going to go a little bit off the reservation this week with some crazy picks, so could be really bad, could be really good. We'll see where it winds up. Let's get to it. Seahawks over Rams on Thursday night was my pick on the London game give me the Falcons over the Jets I think that Falcons offense will travel overseas give me the Patriots over the Texans in that contest I like the way the Patriots defense can handle the rookie quarterback there in Davis Mills Minnesota over the Lions I think that offense bounces back after a rough week in Cleveland give me Philly over Carolina my big upset here on the road for the Eagles over the Carolina Panthers had a tight Tough game against the Cowboys last week. Maybe there's a bit of a hangover after that game. Give me the Eagles. Give me the Titans over the Jaguars. Give me the Bucks over the Dolphins. Give me the Saints over the Washington football team. I'm waiting for this Washington defense to show up like it did last year. It has not quite done that this year. They have the skill. We'll see if it happens for them, but not this week. Give me the Saints. Give me the Packers over the Bengals. I'm not... Buying in quite yet, especially to beat a team like Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Give me Pittsburgh over Denver, especially if Teddy Bridgewater cannot go. Give me the Bears over the Raiders. Bit of an upset there. Khalil Mack gets some revenge in that game. Give me the Browns over the Chargers on the road. Chargers look pretty damn good, but so too do the Browns. The Browns' defense has made some good offenses look bad the last couple of weeks, think they can do that here as well give me the Cowboys over the Giants give me the Niners over the Cardinals that one hurt because you know how much I love Kyler Murray and the Dolphins have the Niners draft pick next year but I just think after that big win over the Rams maybe there's a spot to pick off the Cardinals here give me the Chiefs over the Bills now I think Buffalo is the best team in the AFC right now but I just don't think the Chiefs are going to fall to two and three so give me Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in that one and then give me the Ravens over the Colts on Monday Night Football. All right, let's go ahead and call a week here on the Drive Time Podcast. Caroline, Daddy is coming home. We'll have plenty of content for you guys on Sunday, including the post-game show and the recap podcast, the three takeaways on Monday, the All-22 review after that as well. So plenty of content coming your way every week, every single season here for the Miami Dolphins. But Caroline, Daddy is coming home. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. The YouTube channel for the media availabilities and other video content like Dolphins Today up live right now. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, Fins up.